0: You're listening to Beyond the Studio, a podcast for artists. I'm Amanda Adams. And I'm Nicole Muller. We're both independent working artists ourselves. And here on the podcast, we have honest conversations with fellow visual artists about their careers and the real work that happens beyond the studio. You can find us online at our website, beyondthe.studio, or on social media at Beyond the Studio, where we share episode links, visuals, and so much more.
1: If you're an artist and would like to be featured on our social media or maybe even on the show, you can submit yourself to our Listener Spotlight and share what you're learning Beyond the Studio. Just follow the link in our show notes or go to beyondthe.studio slash contact. Beyond the Studio is a fiscally sponsored project of independent arts and media. I am, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. You can make contributions to the podcast by going over to our website, beyondthe.studio/slash/about, and click on the button that says Donate Here. All donations made through IAM are tax-deductible. Your support is greatly appreciated and goes directly towards sustaining the work of the podcast. If you love the show and haven't rated, reviewed, or shared the podcast, what are you waiting for? Please take a moment to show us your support.
0: If you've already done this, thank you. It means so much to us, and it's one of the best ways to help us keep going and growing. On today's episode of Beyond the Studio, we are so excited to be interviewing artist Natalie Baxter. Natalie, thank you so much for being on the show.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: For listeners that are unfamiliar with your work, can you describe and let us know a little bit about your creative history thus far and kind of... Your art story.
2: Sure. Um, my name is Natalie Baxter. I do a lot. I work mostly in fabric and soft sculpture, and I use a lot of of quilting techniques and sewing techniques that I learned uh, from my grandmother. So, so sort of a craft that was passed down in my like maternal grandmother's side of the family. But that's not my my like formal art training. Is more in in video actually and uh like digital media so I I came Mm -hmm. to the fiber world um after graduate school when living in New York for a while and uh and picked up this picked up quilting again this like quilt that my grandmother had started and I sort of finished it and I was like oh wow this would be really this is like for so many reasons it was so much more enjoyable than staring at a computer screen or like mm-hmm. <laughs> working on like editing film or stuff like stuff like that which is sort of the world that I fell into after graduate school but I feel like it's 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 like connected in subject matter this the sort of work that I do but aesthetically and materially extremely different than than like what I went to school for so a lot of my work is hangs on the wall some of it is is sculptural some of it like lately I've been using a lot of found materials, like old bed sheets and, and um, old domestic objects. And I deal, like subject matter wise, I sort of deal with a lot of social and political issues that are, that are sort of happening in society as I am making the work. So like, for example, the first series that I did was these stuffed assault rifles, these sort of like oversized caricatures of weapons and, and guns that are that sort of like look at America's complicated relationship with assault rifles and guns and the like comfort but also the like ridiculousness of it and also sort of pushing and, and pressing the issue of, of gender in gun ownership and gun culture in America. And then more recent stuff, like sort of during the pandemic, I I and since like becoming a mother, I, I looked a lot at sort of um, domestic labor. so like using like some other series of work that I did is like these large oversized house coats, which are like this I see as a sort of like homemaker workwear that you put on to sort of do these duties of the home. And again that's sort of tracing back to my grandmother she, who had had a closet full of house coats. so it would, would say like, okay, well, we're gonna be quilting all day. so do you want to put on this house coat? But anyway, sort of like there's sort of collaged pieces of lots of different materials like uh, we can we'll probably maybe go into that later. But but yeah, so issues that are that are happening around me that I'm like personally affected by and responding to, but done through mostly fabric, which I feel like, yeah, I feel like fallen into the fabric world. But I and I've been here for like a while and I like it for multiple reasons. Mm hmm anyway that's that's the roundabout way of saying that's what I do. <laughs> it's so
3: interesting. I feel like Amanda has a similar origin story and as far as how she came into fiber work. oh yeah, I don't know if you mm-hmm. wanted to talk about that amanda
0: yeah i I studied photography in college and like spent a lot of time looking at you know staring deeply into the computer and feeling very bug-eyed after and then feeling like I needed to do something tedious but different and so went into fiber art and have just been sewing ever since and yeah fabric is really lovely to work with
2: yeah yeah I know I had this so I'm in this show right now at um at the Dorsky Museum and it's all fiber artists and so they did like an artist talk like everybody got together or whatever a couple artists from the show and did like little short artist talks, and it was like everybody, I like really related to what everybody was saying about like why they use the material. Like it's so, like connected to humanity. You know, it's so like mm-hmm. it's it's like it has this other purpose, which I feel like inherently, it has this gendered aspect to it. Like maybe that won't always be the case, but like may- and maybe that's because of how I learned and where it came from and my like how it got passed down to me these skills but I think like inherently the work has so much that's like the material has so much that's already there that like when you're exploring something whatever the topic is that you're doing in that material it has this like reaction from people that's like they relate to it on this level that's different than like a painting or you know it's like it's material that's in your home it's on your body it's like has this nostalgic quality it has this like yeah anyway Fabric.
0: Yeah, I feel like it it also can be very approachable. Like sometimes people will feel like standoffish if they're seeing a piece of work and a material that they're like, oh, I can't be near this. I don't want to ruin it. But they're like, oh, fabric. This is – I'm not going to ruin this. This is fine. It's fabric. I can get near it. I can experience it. I can feel it. I can like connect to it. I don't know. Maybe I'm projecting because that's what I
2: feel. But No, that's completely – I 100 percent feel that too, which is why I like it also. I like that it's like, I think like especially with the like the gun series, like I liked the, the approachableness that that like uh, the fabric has, and also the the humor and sort of playful childlike things that soft sculpture brings. Like, so you know, there's these like weapons that are hard and metal and scary and like causing so much damage and drawing so much, like, heated debate and heated, like, feelings towards. But then they're rendered in, like, pink flowery fabric or, like, tassels or gold. And it's, like, it's very, like, humor, humorous and approachable to then, like, sort of, like, unpack issues that are not, don't seem to be very approachable or humorous or, like, comforting in in any way so Mm -hmm. yeah i think there's power in this power in the material which is why i like it and why i keep working with it Mm
0: -hmm. oh yeah for sure i think the first work of yours that i saw were the guns and i was so enamored by them because i was like oh my god these things that are typically very hard and erect are now flaccid and soft and like very feminine and very like Just it's telling a different story, and I remember like and just seeing so many like men randomly being offended by it, and I'm like, oh, this is brilliant! I am loving this conversation (laughs) happening around this. I mean, it's also a lot of chaos, so it definitely had an impact on on me.
2: Yeah, and then I did a whole series from those comments that um, that were like from an article that uh, Glenn Beck. Beck has a uh, website called The Blaze, and so a lot of the exactly like the same stuff that I was sort of critiquing was this like intense masculine energy around gun ownership and gun just like gun rights, and yet it was like being portrayed back in at me through this article that was written about me in this negative way. But it was so anyway. They took those comments and turned them into these banners that sort of. sort of echo, like, suffragist banners from 100 years ago, like, women fighting for equality, fighting for the right to vote, and then but then taking these, like, online comments, like, uh, like clearly confused, clearly Natalie Baxter's confused about her role as a woman because I was making, like, gun sculptures or, like, yeah, just a ton of demon crats just want to be sluts. Just these, like, funny little, like, angry comments that were, like, geared towards me for making gun sculptures out of fabric. So it's interesting. Yeah. So that's my work. That's what my That's some of my work.
3: I'm really curious when you <clears throat> made this return into working with fiber if that was sort of I mean it sounds like you just sort of never looked back from there like you had all of this educational training in a different discipline and then when you began working with fiber again that that really Became the foundation for the work that you're creating now. And so I'm curious, like, how did that, I don't know, what did that look like in terms of uh, like deciding that you were going all in on fiber based work or like starting to build an, a new body of work around that material, like starting to find opportunities post MFA, given that you were making such a drastic shift? Um, just, I guess, kind of curious to know about that pivot and then also those like early, early days or early years uh, out of grad school?
2: Yeah. So I feel like I made the pivot, but I wasn't like, now I'm, I'm, I wasn't like, I'm going all in. I was like this, for this project, it makes sense. I was like, will it make sense Mm -hmm. for like the next idea? Maybe it won't. But like, I do, I like kept, like, I would like, so I work in sort of like series. I'm like, I don't know, maybe a lot of people work this way too, but like I will make something and i'll make a lot of them as like a way of figuring it out and sort of like if i'm Mm -hmm. still excited by it i'll like continue to make something in that sort of series anyway but i like it made sense for the guns like that materially fabric and soft sculpture made sense for that that sort of topic of exploration And like did it make sense for the next thing i was going to do like yeah it did i kept like checking in being like am i just like defaulting to just using fabric or is it like actually making sense Or, uh, like, at this point is, like, Mm. am I just – am I going all in on – or, like, am I – like, maybe I'm at the point now where I need to sort of question the material more in terms of, like, am I just in this comfort zone of making work with fabric? Or do I, like, really want to, like, commit to it again in this next, you know, whatever, year or two? Or, like, do I want to experiment with something else? Like, do – I feel like I'm sort of – I'm sort of, like, open to that idea. But in the beginning, to, to get to your, back to your question, in the beginning, it was like, yeah, like, okay, this makes sense. I'm going to try it. And um, this was after, so after graduate school, I went to grad school at the University of Kentucky, which is where I'm from. I'm from Kentucky originally. And I I really liked it there, but I was like, you know what? I've always sort of wanted to live in New York. And I, like, now is sort of my time to do, like, to, I should move there now. Or, like, I worry that I never will. Or, like, like it was, like, a good time, you know, of, like, figuring out trying something new. And, um, and New York is, you know, where all the art is. And I was in Kentucky. So, and I also like really, one of the reasons of choosing University of Kentucky for grad schools, like there, cause I know this is in the vein of your podcast topic. I didn't have any debt from grad school. Like I got, I got paid a salary from like working like a kind of like a work study thing, uh, while in grad school. And then I got like free healthcare and I also like worked, I kind of did grad school very kind of insanely looking back. Like I probably shouldn't have taken on these other extra job things, but I did. So I was like working at a youth media program in Eastern Kentucky. So like driving and and, and spending the summers there at this place called Apple Shop. Anyway, so I was like doing a lot of extra jobs. So I had, I had like a pocket of money saved and I was like, okay, I can move to New York. And, you know, New York felt like super expensive compared to Kentucky. I mean, it is. And that money, like, felt like a lot and then disappeared really quickly. (laughs) But anyway, so I, like, moved to New York and got a – my first job, I was, like, working as an equipment person at a film school. And then I was, like, you know, I could teach – I can teach video editing. Like, I could teach here. And they're, like, oh, okay. So then I ended up teaching there. I ended up, like, having some director of student services position. And, like, then I got a job at CBS News. And I was, like, working as an associate producer. And so – All of that, like, it definitely plays into the kind of work that I'm doing now. You know, like, it, like, subject matter-wise, like, you know, I was, like, literally in a newsroom, like, like, you know, being around that, like, being, like, sort of overexposed or being more attuned to what was happening, like, politically or, like, just in the world than maybe I was before or, like, at a younger age. And that's definitely, like, played into the first series that I did in Fabric, if that makes sense. So Mm -hmm. I kind of almost forgot your question now.
3: (laughs) No, that's so interesting. So then simultaneously, were you also starting to build up your art practice when living in New York? It's interesting that you talk about these other day jobs that you had too, because I feel like it relates to what we hear from a lot of artists, just tapping into these different skill sets and the ways that they influence Mm -hmm. or inform the work that we're making, um, or even just like allowing us to support ourselves, uh, you know, by extending the the skills that we, you know, bring into our roles, that we just had this interview with Ruby Lerner, who was the uh, founding director of Creative Capital, and she talked a lot about this idea, just that, you know, artists have these really diverse skill sets that we can bring into different sectors and different industries, and so um, I think it's so interesting that you were pulling on your, you know, background in video uh, to support yourself in making this move to New York, but um, yeah, were you also starting to, you know, find opportunity for your art practice at that time?
2: Yeah. So I, in the beginning, no, like I was doing weird little video projects. I'm like thinking back now. I would like, was doing little, cause I, at that point I was like, okay, I'm in this, like, I was, had done like some experimentally videos that were like leaning more towards documentary. So I was like, okay, am I trying to be in this, am I trying to make documentary films? So I like met a couple people. I would, I like really put myself out there and like, you know, would go to, would go to stuff and like meet people and ended up like yeah, like now I'm having a flashback where I was like photographing like a after party and met somebody and then ended up working on his film. Like I did like a lot of random, you know, the like hustle that you have to do of. Um, but anyway, so I like was editing somebody else's film. I was like making weird videos that weren't really that good. I was like trying to have an art practice, but I was also like, how do people do this and have jobs? Like this is just like a lot. And then when I started to do the gun series, I was, like, got – I got sort of, like, obsessed with making them. So I was, like, making them on in the, on the subway on the way to my job and, like, sometimes, like, making them at my job and, like, putting them down really quick if somebody walked in. Like, really – like, I think – actually, yeah, I remember now, like, the guy that ran the film school was, like, you can't sew and, like, teach this class at the same time. You know, like – and I was, like, oh, yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> but that also, like, made me realize, like – um Amazing. That, like, that is – this is what I want to do, like this, because at the same time I started getting press about the the work, and I started showing it in New York for the first time. I started showing it, you know. I was like, maybe this is a I, the career was like building alongside having the job at at uh, CBS, and so and and teaching. So I had to like slowly drop the job, the like I had to slowly make space and mm-hmm. and time for the art practice and what it really came down to was like Purdue University in Indiana they were like hey we want to give you a solo show we'll fly you here we'll put you up we'll like pay you and I was like oh wow like somebody wants to like pay me to do like this is so crazy and awesome and give me like the solo show at a university like that's so cool and um but I like tell the nature of like a television job is like next week we're flying to you know Ohio or wherever for this, so it was like hard for me to plan. So I was like, wait, what am I doing? Like, I do I want to be doing this television stuff or do I or like this documentary world or do I want to like just like physically make something with my hands and show it and not have to like collaborate with a bunch of people and like look at a screen and like take forever. I just want to like make something, finish it, have it out in the world. So it like came to a point where I was like, oh my God, I think I have to like quit my jobs. And, um, mm-hmm. Or, like, well, I can't remember which job I dropped first, teaching or CBS. I can't remember. I think teaching. Whatever. I had to, like, slowly shed them, which was really scary. And I, like, immediately started, like, babysitting. Or, like, doing, like, odd jobs that were, like, less, less like, mentally or, like, less of a commitment, I guess. But, like, still having some money come in. So I, like, babysat a lot. What else did I do? Probably some weird freelance stuff. Oh, yeah. I, like... I sewed for... There's this woman who, like, sells pigeons. Anyway, I, like, took weird sewing... I, like, made some... Did some sewing jobs for her. She sells these, like, stuffed pigeons in, like, Union Square. I did, like, random stuff, you know? And, yeah. Um, <laughs> and to, like, make space for the art. And also, while I was working at CVS, I did a residency at Wasaic Project here, where I live. I live in the town of Wasaic now. But I you know, whatever, 2016 or 18 or something like that, I, like, did this residency, probably 2015, whatever, whenever it was, and I was, like, oh, like, I had, it was the first time I, like, had a studio that, like, because I was always, like, how do people afford this? How do people have a studio space in New York City and have an apartment Mm -hmm. and, like, have an art career? How, like, I just, like, couldn't understand it, and then once I did the residency where I actually had the space, to like do whatever I wanted there, I came back and I was like, I have to have this, like I have to figure out a way. So I found like the smallest studio that like didn't have windows. It was like the cheapest one I could find. But I was like, I need a space that is my yeah. own. And then like, s- yeah, so like slowly. So that sort of like started it because I think once you start feeding it, once you start like p- giving attention to anything or, or like feeding it or, or nurturing it, then like it's going to grow and it's going to, end up in opportunities and you're going to sell work you're going to make money in you know the different ways that you can make money with an art career and that is exciting that was fun so i feel like yeah like needing to like, like doing an artist residency i always tell uh younger artists who are like thinking about that i'm like this will this like changes your it's good for you it changes your perspective it changes your your outlook and and so that was me realizing like oh i need a studio I need to, like, give this more attention and, and like, a physical space. Because I was working out of, like, a basement that I lived in with, like, four, boy, four or five boys in Bushwick. And then I was, like, met my now husband and I was using our living room as a studio. And then I was, like, I can't do this anymore. I have to, like, have an external space. Anyway, so that's how that happened.
3: Yeah, I love how you talk about slowly shedding these other jobs that you were working. And I just think that juggling act is so relatable for any artist. like all of those questions, like, Mm -hmm. especially early on in your career of just like, how do people do this? How do they make it work? I think that's, you know, what led Amanda and I to start the podcast is to have those conversations with other artists and be able to ask those questions for our own sake, too, personally, because, you know, we were doing the same thing. And I used to do a lot of commercial mural painting. And then I was working different like arts administrative day jobs and kind of developed this parallel career path working in higher ed, whereas you had the video work. And then, you know, meanwhile, it's like you're always building up your art practice uh, alongside it and just trying to figure out how can you how can you build that into something, whether it's sustaining you full time or just like how can I spend more time on this? I think is the more important question. And so, um, yeah, I was like dog sitting on the weekends and I was like taking on, you know, part-time jobs for like three to four days a week. And then maybe I can squeeze in like one day in the studio per week. And it's like, you're constantly just kind of renegotiating the sort of like pie chart of your life. And, Anyways, I I really like the the way you describe making some of those shifts because we've also talked about those transitional moments a lot with other artists and like how do you how do you slowly pivot or like slowly shift into being able to focus more on your artistic practice? Like how are you able to steal time or carve out time amongst like everything else that you have going on in your life? And so sometimes rather than making just these huge wholesale shifts, it is just like, Well, how can I like maybe drop one thing that I'm spending time on in order to dedicate more time to my art making or like can I substitute this for like a different income source and it's just that puzzle piecing together until, like you said, the things that you do spend time on even if it's just like, you know, one residency for a month throughout the entire year or like just renting a tiny studio space, like those things will start to grow and build and so I love how... Yeah, you talk about seeding those.
2: Yeah, and I think what I realize, like just being in New York and like having a lot of artist friends, with like that everybody does it differently. Like everybody has a different way of making it work. You know, like Mm -hmm. and for some people, that's like some for some people teaching and like the like teaching art is like a good. A lot of I feel like a lot of my friends do that, but I, I feel like I sometimes like the. I feel like the teach I have to have a job that doesn't like consume me totally. You know, like like I feel like teaching can sometimes take up so much brain power and so much like physical time and um and like a mental space that like I can't I don't know if I I don't know if that's like my path necessarily. Or some people mm-hmm. like to like work at a coffee shop or like work have some that some like or like a manual labor job. Like that sort of like that aspect appeals to me more than mm-hmm. like like something that you can almost turn your brain off because in the studio you have to like be turn it on but some people mm-hmm. think see art making differently some like some people maybe have the more of like turn your brain off to like make work it's a, so it depends on the kind of work you make and the like and there's aspects of that with with sewing that that are like meditative that you can sort of like you have those like rest time those like quieter times but then there's a lot for me it's like I have to have a lot of like mental I almost like maybe overthink things I'm trying to like not overthink things in the studio but like mm-hmm. sometimes I use too much brain power so anyway yeah it's like finding that balance of the right job the right money money thing money making thing and the right like thing that complements your practice if that makes sense mm-hmm. so that takes a long time to figure out what that means for you
0: Hell, I feel like I'm still figuring that out in my (laughs) practice. Like before doing art full time, it was a lot of non-art streams of income, similar with like, you know, coffee shops, restaurant work, uh, dog walking or whatever. And now it's like, okay, can I get this grant? Can I get this commission? Can I sell all this work? Can I wholesale to the store? It's like just trying to find more ways to bring it in different Different puzzle, yeah. same game.
2: I mean, I guess that's always. I mean, now I have two children, so the puzzle for me is like time, and that right now doesn't look so. It looks like like it's like we hire people to help us watch our children, in order to like get studio time or get my. my so I mean, my uh, I have a husband who is a photographer, a freelance photographer, which is like another. I feel like he's sort of taught me how to think about how to like let go of the stress of like freelance lifestyle is is uh like how to, I'm trying to think of how to word this it's like he doesn't necessarily know his job or like what he's doing like 2 weeks from now you know what i mean so like in but he like has this sort of ease to him where he's like it's going to like somebody will be emailing me you know like mm-hmm. so that and that i think is hard i think some people can handle that and some people can't so like like mm-hmm. when i quit my jobs to like pursue more art stuff, I was like, I was very freaked out and very like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And like, but like some people have this ease of like, it's going to work out. But also because like he had, he's been working now for what, 20 years or 15 years in photography, like in the freelance world. So he, he knows that it's like typically works out, but oh, but like right now, so he, anyway, so his job is like very unpredictable in terms of like when he's going to be gone and now we moved up we moved out of the city we moved upstate and so he's sometimes like traveling and so for me right now like what the like time management looks like in terms of studio practice is like having to hire somebody well i have because i have a baby i have a seven month old baby so like this first year of life where like he's not in a daycare and i need and i'm like breastfeeding him so i need to be like physically close that this looks like high like paying somebody so I can be in the studio which is like feels crazy but also I know that like this is a short time in the span of it and like this is what I know that I need to be in the studio to like sort of stay mentally sane and also to like continue to work and so yeah it's like it looks different at different times Mm
1: -hmm. and
2: that is okay if you know what I mean like it's like Mm -hmm. Like sometimes, sometimes the balance is different, I guess is what I'm saying.
3: Yeah, I'm so curious to hear more about how your experience has shifted both with moving upstate New York um, from being in the city and then to becoming a new mother and I have all these questions related to that. But I just wanted to first point out too the how much I appreciate you talking about your husband's mentality in like swimming with this uncertainty that Mm -hmm. I think is so common and maybe it's important to normalize that because I have definitely been feeling that too as um, an artist like particularly lately just that there's this constant Mm -hmm. this like constant uncertainty around what the future is going to look like and having to develop a sense of comfort or acceptance with that, that you're going to be sort of like living on the edge of your comfort zone a lot of the time. And that doesn't mean like you're saying that things are not happening or that opportunities aren't going to come to you. But it is just like the nature of, I think, you know, working uh, as a freelancer or like only being able to kind of chart out so far in advance. Like I, I know I have these projects on the horizon, but after that, like I'm just continuing to work and trusting that things will continue to happen. And so Um, I do wish that is something that I would have known or like learned earlier on that 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 is normal, like that is a part of it. And that's, I don't know that that's going to to go away. Um, And so just being, I think, comfortable with that level of instability is something that um, Mm -hmm. takes a long time to, I don't know, to reach. (laughs) Yeah, you have to,
2: yeah, you have to like, you have to relinquish a lot of control, I think as a freelancer, I mean, I guess as an artist, you are sort of also a freelancer, you know, like you're, you're yeah. relinquishing, yeah. you're not in control of what opportunities necessarily come your way all the time, you know, which is like, I mean, sure, you can apply to stuff and you can like put yourself out there, put yourself in front of the right people or whatever, but you're, you don't really have a lot of control. And that can be like, you have control about what you make is really what it comes down to, which is really, if you don't, if you're not making the work, the opportunities aren't going to come. You know what I mean? So like, but also there's like in talking to older artists, I've done a lot of more of that up here of like I've also worked for this artist up here since since moving up here that like anyway, just like talking to her about like the span of her career and how you know, that it's it's somewhat of a roller coaster and there will be like lulls and there will be but like it's not like, I feel like sometimes in the, the mentality that I've had in the past that I'm trying to get over is, like, if a lot of people aren't asking you to be in shows or, like, asking to, like, you know, your work's not being written about or whatever, then you're like, oh, that was it. You're that's like, it's end. over. That was-, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that was my career. It's done. Yeah. That, was a good, that was a good run. But that's the end. And it's like, yeah, no. Yeah, I just that's- peak three years ago? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's like, of course that's not the end. It's like um this professor of mine from grad school who's an amazing artist ebony patterson she was like she always would say like it's a marathon not a sprint and i always like i always come back to that too where it's like yeah it's it's not just like say yes to every opportunity that comes by and like do do it all now because this is the end this is you never know how long it's gonna last it's like no you have like you are the you're sort of you're in control of like what you make and how you're not necessarily in control of how the people perceive it but like you can if you put the work into your studio and into the work and into like your career then it's going to come back in some it's going to come back in a positive way in some way but of course there will be times when you feel like it's over and I think like that's something that I've learned with with like watching my husband how he deals with like freelance stuff so I'm like oh he just like he's just always knows that like there's going to be another thing coming but it's, that can be hard. That can be like a hard mentality to get into. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah.
0: That's the mentality I'm trying to get into. <laughs> I spend way too much time anxious in my head thinking like, okay, I felt fine for a minute and now I'm desperate for finding the next <laughs> thing to work on, the next opportunity, the next thing to apply for, you know. And it's like I I only allow myself peace of mind when there's something that I'm currently working on, I'm like, well, I know I'm working on projects, but it's those moments in between where I'm like, oh shit, what am I doing? What's going to happen? What if I (laughs) have to move back
2: in with my parents? Yeah, I definitely... So it was like two years ago or something. I was like, I need to start... I need to start saying no to things because I... Was saying, like, you can't say yes to everything. You can't, like, do every opportunity. And then when you do say yes to everything, then I felt like I was, I felt like I was, like, almost like mass producing my own work because it's like people only know, people only want to show the work that you've made. They don't know about the work that you haven't even had the chance to make. So therefore, like, you have to give yourself the time in the studio where you don't have shows coming up to then make the work and, like, not have that pressure of something else. So I, I like, mentally was like okay say no to things and then, so i did i did a good job but then when i reached that point like someone was like oh what do you have coming up and usually i'm like oh i have this i have this i have this but this at that point i was like wait i have nothing coming up and it was this was like a couple months ago and i was like wait that's scary i have nothing coming up and then i was like but wait <laughs> i asked for this like <laughs> like mm. i wanted i like said that i like said this to the universe and like i actually turned things down and said no and here I am so like why am I why do I also have this like fear of like wait oh my god nobody's and then of course literally the I think it was that day I like got something it was like we want you putting you in the show and I was like oh my god like calm down but it's like it's hard to tell yourself to it's hard to like not go there sometimes in your head but yeah it's like I've I feel like I'm a more I've understood that more as like the longer you're in you have the you, longer you have an art career the more you're like okay it's not like you make work and then opportunity will come around or like – or you, you're you like figuring out what the work is that you want to make and maybe that takes a year or two and like mm-hmm. maybe that's going to be in the – and maybe you're going to make a bunch of stuff that you don't like and that's all part of the process that comes back in a – in better work later.
3: Yeah, I feel like Amanda and I have talked about this too in the context of like understanding the – like seasonal or like annual ebbs and flows, uh, like of your income streams, or like after you've, you know, been working for a while, maybe you can start to see some kind of patterns emerging. Um, But for for a while, it's like you're just so in the midst of it, you don't necessarily have that perspective. And so it really is just like trusting those ebbs and flows, that those ebbs and flows are a part of the process. And then also just reacting to those opportunities as they do come up. Like, is this, you know, moving me closer to where I want to go or, you know, do I need to say no to this for some reason? And, I guess going back to, so you talked about having one of those like decision-making moments where you were working various jobs and then had this chance to show your work at a university. So it sounds like you did say yes to that. And that was like a stepping stone into beginning to exhibit your work more or just like invest more fully into your creative practice. Would you say that started to then like lead into other things or what did that, yeah, how how did those uh, start to snowball?
2: Yeah, I feel like that show was sort of the beginning of like show, starting to show a lot more frequently and a lot more. That was the beginning of me saying yes too much. <laughs> but sometimes that's like a good thing to do. You know, sometimes you at that stage, that was really good for me because I hadn't shown that much. And I was like, we needed the experiences of of like, you know, you learn so much through, through doing and through like dealing with certain galleries or dealing with seeing how museums deal with things versus universities versus commercial galleries versus some you know basement gallery or whatever and like learning how okay these people hung my work really poorly and how do I make it so that the next place doesn't hang it like like you know creating like a guide and then creating like uh, I feel like I learned about I now use this like software this is like getting into like logistics of like the businessy side of of or the like administrative side but like learning how to sort of manage the inventory of the work that I've, that I have and like where it's, um, where it's been and where it's, who I've like shown it to and who I've offered it to. And like sort of, it like made everything, all that experience and all that time, like made everything work more streamlined administratively in my, in my career. And then also like talking about my work and being able to comfortably, you know, give an artist talk or whatever it is, or or meet with people, or meeting so many people, networking so much, and and yeah, like thinking about where I'd want my work to go and where what the best venues for it are, what the best you know like, and I also think just like going back to talking about the like anxiety of of like not having or like not having opportunities or whatever, managing that anxiety, I feel like having a lot of artist friends that you can talk to about that stuff really, really, really helps because they're usually all going through the same feelings that you're, <laughs> that you're going through. So I feel like having somebody to be like, yeah, wait, I feel that way too. And like, wait, why do we feel that way? That's so dumb. Like when you like say it out loud to somebody else, then they, so I definitely feel thankful to have like a lot of friends like that, that I can sort of turn to and and talk things out or like talk about you know, what do you think about this gallery? What do you think about this? Is this a good opportunity? Should I like asking for advice and having those people that know the, know the business or know the, know the art world to sort of chime in on. So.
3: Yeah. Having had experiences now showing your work with variety of spaces, do you have uh, like a set of criteria in mind when you're approached about a show for like things that you say yes to or look for and then also um, just like what you were mentioning on the logistics end, like process for preparing for a show, whether it's by like putting together guides for how you want your work to be hung uh, or like softwares you use to help manage the the inventory or like flow of your work in and out of the studio. Just like things that you, that you do now that, you know, you've kind of learned over the years.
2: Yeah. I think in the past when I would say like yes to everything, I would like slowly would take, you know, then I was like wait do I want to say yes to everything maybe I'll just say like I would think twice about a gallery that wanted me to like pay to ship my work anywhere I'm like kind of don't do that anymore and and I also I like when people come and pick up my work myself you know it's like now that I have less time I'm like okay does this does this show involve me like packing up a bunch of my own work and if so is it worth all that time to like that's so much work to do. <laughs> like some, you know, sometimes people will send like an art handler to pick up your work. Sometimes they won't. And then like if they can't or won't, then I like really weigh those like, am I going to be spending two days like packing up and putting stuff in boxes, finding the right boxes that are the right size, you know, printing shipping labels, taking it down to wherever you need to go or whatever. And and like, I don't want to pay for that anymore. Like, so that was like a while ago i made that decision of like i don't like they have to pay to like ship the work um so that was kind of like step 1 i guess and then um but you know whatever i'll make exceptions if it i'll make exceptions probably i don't know if it's something that seems worthwhile or whatever but um and then now i feel like i don't immediately say yes when somebody emails me i wait to hear like who are the other artists in the show if it's a group show and like do i want to be in conversation with these artists or like do I respect this curator and this, or in this gallery? And like, does it seem like my work would fit in there? And I mean, usually mu- if it's a museum, I usually just say yes, <laughs> but like, I don't know, maybe sometimes I'm like, maybe I should d- think twice about that too. Or like, or universities, I tend to say yes to also, just because I like the like context of, of the university setting usually. And like the, way that they'll that knowing that it it will probably have interaction with students and with classes and I think that that can be just I don't know a positive thing to do a positive place to show um and then I also now think about my schedule and my like like do I actually have time to to do this you know like because my time is more limited these days because of like the phase of parenting that I'm in And so I'm like, do I want to spend time like thinking about this next show and like think and like picking the works and packing them and doing whatever I need to do for that? Or do I want to spend time in the studio making new work? You know what I mean? And if I and Nate, that probably depends on a lot of factors. Like, do I have that many shows coming up? Like maybe I can't take on that many shows in the fall if I already have these other two or whatever. So I I like definitely way more think about more about. The people around me and my family, <laughs> really. I think my, my husband at some point was like, will you just consider us before saying yes to things? And I'm like, okay, yeah, I should. But yeah, but in the past, I would just say yes to anything because it was exciting and
3: I didn't have
2: other a lot of other responsibilities and I wanted the exposure.
3: Yeah, I'm sure that's been a pretty huge shift with becoming a new mother, and I'm curious to hear more about what that transition has been like for you uh, as it relates to your studio practice or to um, like some of the career-oriented things you're talking about, uh, like what opportunities you say yes to, um, how you're balancing your time, just what were some of the the bigger changes that created or maybe some of the things that surprised you. Okay. So motherhood (laughs) and my studio practice.
2: Yes. So, um, the ways that it surprised me, is that what you asked? Sorry. Ask me again. Yeah. No, I, it's fairly open-ended.
3: I'm just, um, curious how, I, I guess what you're thinking about now, like how has that shifted, you know, things for you in terms of the balance of your life or time in the studio um, and, and has there been anything that surprised you? Um, and do you, is it, do you have one baby? You said you have kids, two kids.
2: Yeah. I've, I have two kids. I have a three and a half year old daughter and a seven month old son. And it's funny, like, i I think I've been like reflecting a little more on like, I think like two, two kids is very different than one kid. Uh huh. <laughs> it's like a lot, mm-hmm. you know, it's a lot more work and a lot more like, it's just, it's a lot more intense. But, uh, I feel like now it's like, what, almost at four years of parenting, I feel like I'm just now realizing like, oh, it actually changes everything. (laughs) You know, like, I feel like maybe the first couple years I was like, oh, okay, whatever, I have this kid, but I'll just like, it's like, I have this, everything else is like, you know, whatever, the kid like fits into everything that you do, but it's actually like, it's, it, it changes the whole way you think about everything. So like, Of course, that comes into your art practice. Mm -hmm. And of course, that like comes into the, especially like the kind of work that I make. It's like sort of, it's always sort of directly related to what I'm thinking about and what the like, like sort of like bigger societal issues, but also like from my own experiences and my own like personal entry point. So, and then like, of course, during the pandemic, I just found myself like, uh, I, so during the pandemic, we were in the, we were in Queens in the, in Ridgewood in an apartment and then did this residency up in Wassaic, at Wasaic Project for nine months. And so I was like, all of a sudden in like a rural area, like quilting and like baking bread and like having fires in the backyard. I was like, all of a sudden I felt very sort of like I was living this similar life to my grandmother that like taught me to quilt and sew. And that's sort of like what led to these house coats that are like these these sort of like almost this like giant oversized armor of this, of like a homemaker workwear, but also this like, these like different sort of facades and, and like personalities or like personas that you put on as like a parent or a woman in general. So I feel like it's made me so much more attuned to sort of these like gender, traditional like gender roles and like questioning them and thinking about. Yeah, just like how stuff that I did not think about at all, like before having a kid and like also didn't think that I would be making work necessarily about it. But it's like it's yeah, seems so prevalent right now. Like I'm making this series right now. I'm doing these like these quilted chairs that are like 3D looking. They look like like 3D chairs, but they're actually like flat quilts and they're made out of like bed sheets and these like sort of domestic objects. And it's sort of this like this like empty sort of lip service political thing of like, here have a seat at the table like sit here like we want every we want all inclusion we want to like include everybody we want to like we want to hear what you think and we but it's actually like not like an imp like an empty promise like it's it's just lip service it's just like nobody's actually there's like all this legislation being passed that's against saying that like like that's like banning healthcare for women banning like abortions banning drag queens it's like mm-hmm. crazy mm-hmm. yeah just sort of this like the opposite of of what's happening anyway so I feel like that's like maybe I'm more attuned to that having like entered motherhood or, or more like aware of it or maybe I would have been aware of that without having kids I don't know but like it changes like how I work and how I you know like your time in the studio becomes very much more like okay I have three hours like Mm -hmm. you know like I'm or we have to pick our our daughter up from school at this time so like it's kind of like when she comes home from school it's like day over like she requires a lot of attention and like it's hard to like get anything else done so like and and I want to be like fully present when I'm hanging out with them rather than like being you know like distracted like I want to be in the studio so it's like it becomes more like you're not going to go to your studio and like look at the look at Instagram or something you know like you're gonna like Mm -hmm. actually be doing work or you will have like thought about what you're gonna be doing and like get there and get straight to work yeah it's just it makes you see the world differently when you have a child that you're raising in it and it makes you think about how you were raised and how like what the world was like then and what you want it to be like and what yeah what that means in terms of like for me what that means in terms of like the work I'm the like subject
3: matter I'm dealing with Mm mm-hmm yeah more discipline in terms of your time it sounds like for sure and like greater mental shifts between like those different
1: roles that you occupy
0: yeah for sure oh I was just saying thank you for talking about that because Nicole and I like I said before neither of us are mothers so it's a conversation that we can't personally bring to the table but as you know just a human watching so many of my friends become parents over the last few years and seeing the way that it's completely disrupted their lives like changed the way that they view things the way that they engage with everything really
2: yeah yeah it's like hard it's impossible to like explain and yeah but you like I feel like you like like in New York I was like oh these like it was like you're like turned on to this other world that was always around you but you didn't really see it you know and like how could you or why would you have seen it? But or like whatever, but then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, this person's a mom, I get like you like have this you know, whatever, relatable experience like like you could with any anything really, but it's like it's a lot. But it's it's good. <laughs> it's like extreme it's kinda like being an artist. You're on the roller coaster of uh yeah. extreme joy and extreme like defeat. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. Yeah, and just in terms of the visibility, too, like, that's so interesting that, of course, there's this, like, enormous community of artists who are parents and, and just parents in general, like, juggling all of these things around us. But maybe until you are yourself immersed in that world, you don't necessarily see to the same extent. And I think the same could be said for artists, too. It's like there's this whole community of, like, artists who are out there like living their lives and making it work and it just it makes me just think about the the visibility of that labor in general and what you know really goes into sustaining it and I think there's so much that is unseen and so that that is tied I think to all of these political issues you're describing it's like when we don't see we can't value what we don't see and I think there is um, an enormous just lack of appreciation for the real work of being an artist of being a parent of you know all of these things that we tend to undervalue in our society. I'm curious to, I guess, like know more about this sense of community, whether it is through other artists' parents or other artists in general. Um, you talked about that being really crucial to living and working in New York. And so I'm curious, especially with this move to upstate, have you been able to like find or build a new sense of community or like what has that shift looked like moving from the city uh to a place that is a little more rural and you know what what other kinds of shifts has that created in terms of the creative community or anything else yeah well i feel like we one of the things that made it very easy to move
2: here is that there is a big art community that we were already sort of plugged into so that like and also a lot of them a lot of people had also have kids so it was like also made that easy because it was like when our we our daughter was like a little over a year when we did the when i did the residency here so my our plan was to like move out of the city it was during the pandemic do the residency here and then we went to sweden for three months too on a residency and then before sweden we went to tennessee for two months to do stove residency in chattanooga and so we were like okay let's go be nomadic and like uh then we'll like move back to the city. And we still did all those other residencies, but we ended up back here. And I think it's like, because for a few reasons, it's like, we're really, we're still like, you can walk from our house to the train to the city. So like, it is right there. Like sometimes I'll like go down for the day and like see art and come back. Or like my husband will work, like sometimes works in the city. So it's like still accessible to for work and for like like the art community that we like so i feel like we like we moved up here but like sort of accidentally you know like sort of like i like wasn't quite ready to leave new york city but it also made a lot of sense but yeah there's like because of of the residency the wasaic Project residency that's here there's like a lot of art people in and out all the time or like stopping through or they've done the residency before so they know the, the town so they'll come through and you know text or be somewhere there's also just like there's artists who moved here during the pandemic or got like second houses up here that are that I already knew that like have they're like sort of split their time between the city and up here so that's nice to like have a lot of neighbors that I can you know like talk to about their work or or talk about like go on a walk and be like this is what I'm doing in the studio you know like whatever there's a lot of opportunities to like still feel plugged in it's not just like a town where you're like I'm an artist and people are like what does that mean you know and then and then there's like an art there's like a lot of art happening up here like there's a lot of there's a lot more galleries and there's a lot more like people doing things and like putting on shows and and whatever there's a lot of opportunity to see art too but I do miss the like energy of the city and and being like like my studio was in Bushwick and it was like I had a lot of other artist friends nearby that I could be like, let's go get a coffee and let's like talk about, you know, it was just like more more opportunities for for those kind of conversations, maybe. (sighs) Yeah. And I was also sort of had this fear of like, oh, I'm going to move upstate and then everyone's going to like forget about me and I'm not going to have like my it'll like affect my career in some way, which is an irrational fear. I'm realizing, but um, but still a real fear And, uh, that hasn't, I haven't seen that be the case necessarily, you know, like, and also when I moved out of that, the like next, not the tiny studio, but the next studio I had in Bushwick, I was like, I don't want to pay this much money for a studio anymore. I don't want to rent like this, like tiny space for so much more, so much money. And so up here you have, we have space. Like that's really, that's kind of a game changer. And that's like, makes me immediately realize like, that I want more space <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's like it's it's um <clears throat> financially it's less expensive up here and so it like yeah I don't know that burden is sort of like a little more lifted and uh yeah I have like the space to make stuff and and then your work gets bigger and then you oh, yeah yes. I think it's all it's all good it's all positive I definitely relate to that feeling of
0: like the second you get a bigger space, you're like, but I could go bigger.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's
0: so bad. I started with a studio that was in my bedroom and then I was able to get one that was a different room in my house, but still really tiny. And now I have like the biggest studio I've ever had. And I feel like I immediately outgrew it. And I'm like, do you think I could take over the attic or the basement (laughs) 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 or both?
2: <laughs> and I know it's so I, funny how that I works, am. right, but that's good that's like that means that that I think that's good a good feeling where it's like
1: mm-hmm.
2: means that your work could you like have so much more to make and you have so much more space to occupy in a good way.
0: Oh yeah, like all of my stuff was very uh very limited to being like handheld kind of objects, things I could store easily things I could make in a small space, but the thought of having more space just expands on the potential of things I could do and I'm like yeah maybe I make whole immersive experiences maybe I I don't know (laughs) yeah
3: (laughs) yeah it allows you to just start thinking bigger about your work I'm a painter and I tend to work pretty large scale and just moved into a new studio at the end of last year actually so have this like big 1000 square foot studio and it's like the most space I've ever had and I'm already just like oh my gosh but wouldn't it be amazing if I had like a whole warehouse you know just you like start to (laughs) envision like what's the next you know next stage of growth and so I think yeah Yeah. it's a good sign yeah I always think about
0: uh Jean Shin saying that she had a barn and I was like ooh, a whole barn that
2: is what I need (laughs) I don't have space for a barn, but one day. I know. I know. Yeah, so I think, like, that's something that you can have upstate that's, like, becomes very, very expensive in the city. Mm hmm And, like, I have – so I'm in, like, a little – it's not a huge barn, but it's, like, a little old two-stall horse barn that's in my backyard. So then it's also, like, having kids – like, being able to, like, pop up to the studio for, like, an hour or two. Yeah while the kids are down there down at the house it's like that's also very conducive to my lifestyle right now it's a very good positive thing yeah so i like it up here
3: yeah it's like having an in-home studio while still having the separation of your studio yes which which is huge i feel
2: like i need the separation like i need the like walk to a different space but i don't have much time to go that far mm-hmm. you know what i mean so so, like, in like in the city, it was, like, a 20-minute walk to my studio, but it was still, like, a 20, 25-minute walk. But it's, like, you're not going to just pop there for, like, an hour and go back. Like, you could go for, like, a couple
3: hours or... Yeah. I don't know. It's just... It makes it very easy to, like, do things. That sounds really lovely. Just, like, having more space, more like physical space, mental space, but not being at all disconnected from the city. If you want to go in, like you said, for a day or just having access to the creative community, both in Wassaic and in the city and just kind of having the best of both worlds.
2: Yeah, yeah. Another thing, speaking about studios, have you ever heard of this where it's like, if you have a space that's really low ceilings, then that's when you're gonna like focus in on something and like almost like do like busy work or like produce a lot. But if it's like a sp- space that has a really high ceiling, that's where you like have space for ideas to grow.
3: Have you heard oh, this? Oh no! Ooh,
0: <laughs> I like mean, that. That though. tracks on on my studio experience. Yeah, I feel like it I've kind made of makes some sense. of my craziest, most interesting work since moving into this house, and this is the highest ceilings I've ever had. Especially if I yeah. if I make work in the attic, which is like a kind of pitched at the point. So it'll, it'll get pretty tall in the middle. And I mean, I made my first animation up there and I was like, okay, this is scary, but I feel like I'm going to try something new. All that space uh, yeah. to dream. So, yeah. 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 I That's like that cool. theory. And uh, since we know my experience mirrors it, it's true. <laughs> <Just>
2: yeah. Yeah. <kidding. laughs> Well, I always heard that, like, I did a residency at Vermont Studio Center once, and there was, like, somebody had a studio that was, like, partially short ceiling, and then it had, like, the high ceiling, and they are like, this oh, is yeah. where I do my, like, computer stuff, and this is where I, like, do my, like, focus
3: thing, and this is where I, like, think, and I was, like, oh, that makes sense, actually, I like that. Yeah, I wanted to ask you more about your experience with these residencies. So did you say that the, like, the stretch of time leading up to moving where you are, was this um, after your daughter was born or before having kids? After. So the, I did a couple residencies before
2: kids, and then I did, um... I kind of didn't think I would be doing residencies with a child, but then um, yeah, uh, I'm so interested about that. I did like three.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. I know, was what was crazy. that
3: process like? Did you have? Did these just come about naturally, or were you specifically seeking out more family-oriented residencies? Because um, I know those can be harder to find, or just like harder to arrange. So what? Um, how did you all manage to make that work as a? family. Yeah.
2: So the residency the first one we did that was here with Say Project that ended up being 9 months, but it cuz it was like it was sort of like a perfect storm, which is like a bad weird way thing to say about the pandemic, but it was like um my husband was you know, freelance photographer, there was no more no photography, no no work happening. Like he was like on unemployment and so, because he wasn't working, he could, like, be at home, you know, with our daughter. And we needed to get out of our apartment because it was, like, uh, we just needed to get out of that, the, like, it was not an apartment I imagined having a child in. So, I was, like, we need to get out of this apartment. We've been here, you know, we were there for, like, seven months of, like, intense lockdown, like, cra- you know, that, like, crazy time that I was, like, we need to get out and let's, like, go upstate. Let's, like, reassess. And I'd gotten the Sweden thing was like, they just emailed me and they're like, hey, we want to nominate you for a residency in Sweden. And I was like, cool, by all means. And then they're like, oh, you we like you got in. And I was like, um, I also have a husband and a <laughs> toddler. And they're like, of course, the family's welcome. Like, this is Sweden, which also like sort of makes <laughs> oh, wow, like, great. a lot of this work. Yeah. Perks of a Sweden, Sweden invite. They're like, yes, of course we see all of you. I know. And then I got there and I was like, I'm also (laughs) pregnant. And they were like, that's so great. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, Oh, my God. So like, anyway, Wow, I feel so jaded living in the US. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. They're like, it's that also like made me think a lot about how messed up our country is in so many ways about how we handle just like maternity leave and like talking about maternity leave in Sweden with somebody else who's pregnant. And they were like, like, what did you do with your daughter? Like, Cause they, you just get paid. To, like, you just get money. If like you get, everybody gets like eight, like what is it, eighteen months maternity leave, like paid for. Even if you're a student, like you can get, you get money. The U.S. like doesn't do anything like that. You know, like or they're like, so you're an artist and your husband's like a photographer. Like, what did you do when your daughter was born? And I was like, we just didn't work and we just like didn't make money. And they're like, so we could spend time with our child. They're like, that's so sad. And I was like. it is really sad actually. it is it's very sad anyway so it got me like thinking a lot about it led Mm -hmm. it's definitely like we led into the work that I make Mm -hmm. now but yeah the Sweden one just like fell in my lap sort of and I was like we like we have to make this work but they also like paid for everything so they like paid for plane tickets paid for us like gave us a free place to live gave us like stipend and also while we were there they're like I gave talks and they're like oh we found some more money to give you here's some more money I was just like what is this country (laughs) they just have so much more money for the arts and Mm -hmm. they're supportive of of like international exchanges and everything so anyway so that's how that worked and then um Tennessee uh there's like some residencies are very set up for kids and some are like less so and uh Tennessee was like Stoveworks I like I lived off-site so it was it's not like the residency is set up for families but you can live off-site and I have family in Chattanooga so I we stayed there so yeah, it like sort of it only worked because the pandemic sort of made my husband's work dry up a lot where like he could spend more time with her and I could spend more time in the studio, which was great. And we also just sort of like took turns and then like slowly he got more work and and then like the residency thing is probably on hold for a little while. And also it's just it's a little more challenging to do residencies with kids like you're you're just in another place, like sort of fighting the same like childcare issues or, um, but, but it's also like amazing that I got to have an experience of like being in Sweden with my daughter. Who's like, they have like open preschools. So you can just go to these free preschools and like, she was like singing Swedish songs by the end of it. Yeah. it's crazy. Oh my God.
0: (laughs) It just makes me like grieve for my parent friends that live here and how much unnecessarily harder it is to. Yes. Be a parent in the US.
2: Yeah. It's not cool. I know. It's so messed up how different it was. Like learning all the differences, I was just like, wow, this is like so insane. They're like they're like, yeah, just like the breakdown of how much like a daycare costs there. And and it doesn't it costs like a fraction of what it costs here, but it's also the government gives you money to pay for the daycare. <laughs> so it's like it's crazy. So anyway, that like definitely, that was an amazing experience that like I'm so fortunate to have, but it's also challenging to like be on a residency. I see why like some residencies are like no visitors, no, no family, which is like crazy because it's like, how can you just remove yourself from that? But also I see why it's like, it also can be like, so it sounds nice to like maybe like a week residency of like, like at this point in my life. Like maybe going away for like a week and being with other artists would be good, but it's like sort of impractical to like go for a whole month at this like right now.
3: Yeah, it's it's not always realistic to be able to just remove yourself entirely from your daily life. Even without kids, like how do you, like I was always like, wait, like doing residencies when I
2: lived, I like shared like when my husband was, when we were just like living together, I was like, okay, so I can't, like, sublet my apartment because I live with my boyfriend. So it's like, like, sometimes you could, like, sublet your apartment or sublet your studio. Like, I did sublet my studio. But I was like, financially, it's like, sometimes you have to, like, pay for residencies. Mm-hmm. It's like, how does this all work? Like, how does this, like, this is so, seems so crazy. But the, like, I now see it bigger picture, why it it's, like, so beneficial and good for your work, your practice, you're, like, meeting people and and making connections and and those like like I have a lot of really great friends and like that I met from residencies yeah so that's sort of like invaluable but it's hard to see that before you go if you're like wait how do I not work for a month and yeah pay my rent in the city and pay yeah it's like what how does this work
0: yeah, that's what always stops me up. Like, uh, for context, I've never gone on a residency. It's something I fantasize about, but I always hit the roadblocks in my brain where it's like, well, I need to have enough money saved to do that, and I just don't. And I don't know how to, like, get to a point where I'm there. I mean, I guess I just – I save for it or I plan for it, and I never
2: do. Or you do, apply to but the ones that are funded, the, like – yeah like I did Vermont Studio Center, but I got the full fellowship because I think if you don't get it, it's like very, very expensive, like thousands of dollars. So I was like, how do people do this? But I was very fortunate that because you can, the jury changes every time on at Vermont Studio Center. I'm sure all these other ones too that are funded. So like you can keep applying and maybe like a one jury doesn't is not into your work but maybe the next jury is into your work or that's been another thing of like seeing the other side of a lot of that stuff where like like uh like jurying shows or cure or being on the jury for somebody who like selects residencies it's like it doesn't just because you're getting rejected doesn't mean that like your work is bad or that you're it's just like it's not you're not responding to the people who are on the jury and that's it's all subjective so but yeah, there are funded residencies, and there are funded, like, there are more and more family residencies popping up, and there's some where, like, if your kids are a certain age, you can, like, they can go to, like, a camp while you're at the residency. Oh, so nice. Like,
3: that's great. That's so smart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is kind of a major um, shift in topic, but I did want to ask you about um, some of the other, like, projects or initiatives that you have going, um... And we talked a little bit in the very beginning of our conversation about um, just creating fiber work in different contexts. And so I was really curious to know how you are balancing between like the um, the work that you're creating, these bodies of work that you described that um, you may be showing in museums or galleries. And then um, I was just looking at your website uh, before we hopped on the call. Um, and I see that you also have... Uh, like functional fiber work that you sell under a different like Mm -hmm. different pseudonym and then I was also just digging into the cottage courses that I'm curious to know more about um, (laughs) like if that started when you moved up uh, upstate or yeah so just I guess like to whatever extent you want to share I'm just like always curious to know about uh, like all of the various things that artists work on and you know how, how does that like fit into either just like how you're balancing your time um do they provide like different mm-hmm. income streams like how what's that balancing act like
2: yeah so i just this i've like always wanted to do this um but like never did until this past like christmas season i made i made like stockings like uh, christmas stockings and I was like, I want to make these and, like, sell – I want to, like, sell them on the – on, like, a website. But I didn't want to sell them on my, like, personal – on my, like, art website necessarily. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to have, like – sort of, like, playing store. You know, like, making stuff. Because there's-, there's, like, things, mm-hmm. like, functional objects that I make that I really enjoy. But I don't – I don't see them, like, existing in in a gallery setting. Which I've always been, like, wary about creating. I don't know. Because I- my work already walks the, like, craft – Fine art, you know, it already walks that line.
0: Oh yeah, you're, <laughs> so I was you're like speaking my like... language. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm like, but but I just I don't know, I wanted to like make I want to like make stuff and sell it. That's like which I already do, I know, like in in making art, but I wanted to make something that's like really like uh financially approachable. Um anyway, so I just like made stuff and made another website and like put it placed it there. And it was fun. It's it's really fun and it's it's nice to like have that as uh like low stakes sell and also like another revenues like financial revenue stream. Um and also it's just fun. And then a friend of mine that I met up here, she's a painter, Polly Schindler. Um, I don't know if you know her work, but she yeah. is an amazing painter. And yeah. um yeah, and so she she was like um well, how do we start talking about this? I can't even remember. But we're talking about like oh we're talking about how like we want to learn Like she came to my studio and she's like, I want to see how you do this. Like how you do this, like, like applique or something. And I was like, well, this is how I do it. Because I, I, because I like don't have that formal training necessarily. It's more like, which I feel like this is a lot of artists. You like figure out how to do something for like whatever you need to do, you know? So, and she was doing this like paper mache work. She started like during the pandemic where she's like, this is how I figured out how to do paper mache. And it was so fun it's like amazing work and then she paints on it and so we're like we should start we should do like workshops or like we like talked about the idea of like a skill sharing thing but then we're like we should just like make like have these workshops and like other people can come and take them too and get like different artists to like teach their specific way of of how they make something so we've only so that's that's how cottage courses was was started um, and it is sort of like a, it's a money making endeavor, but it's also like really something we both enjoy, you know, like, yeah. um, so we only have had, we only had one so far the next one I'm teaching the next one. It's this weekend, it's Saturday, but Polly taught a house making workshop. So like she made houses out of paper mache. It was so fun. Like I found it, I found it like so to be so enjoyable because it like, A, it's like taking you out of your own if you're an artist, it's like, taking you out of your practice and, like, learning how to do something else that an, that an artist does. And, like, so, like, I think that that's always a good thing to do is, like, jump to a different medium and sort of play with it. So this is, like, a low-stakes, easy way of doing that. And then there was a couple other people that took the class that were, like, like, one person was, like, this, like, jump-started my practice again. Like, now I want to, like, make it back into making. Huh. I was, like, oh, my God, that's, yeah, that's a, awesome. like, the best review you could ever have. And then there was, like... Mm-hmm. Cause we, cause we kind of just like made a website and like, uh, we worked with, there's like a hotel down the road, it's called Troutbeck. That's like a nice, beautiful hotel. And they have this ballroom that they don't always use. And they're like, we would love to like engage with the, like something with the community more. And we're like, well, how about we teach these classes there? So it's like in this beautiful setting. And like this woman came with her like nine year old and they did one and like some of our friends signed up and they were like, it was just so fun. It's so great, and then so, so I'm teaching like a oven mitt making workshop. So like, like using upcycled, using like found materials or or whatever material people if people want to bring their own, and they, um, yeah. So it's like learning like like hand sewing and like binding and uh, yeah, just like sort of like learning a new skill, but learning it from a specific way that that this like artist does it. So that's – and it's it's fun. And, like, people have emailed us being like, hey, will you come to my town and do this? Or, like, will you, you know um, – or it's people will be like, hey, I, I know how to make candles. And, like, do, 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 I could teach a workshop with you. And we're like, cool, okay. So yeah. I think it'll be just, like, once a month or something. It's – yeah, it's exciting. It's very fun. Yeah. Are it's these all in like,
3: person or are they virtual as well?
2: They're all in person for now. I mean, we're we're kind of also, like – like, I'm like, we need to, cause we both have our own art practices and it's like, it's nice to, we're, I'm like, we need to be aware of like how much time this could mm-hmm. take for us, you know, like, so I feel like we're just like checking in every now and then being like, okay, is this still fun? Like, <laughs> is this like, you know, you still have to do the like logistics of, of like getting it out there and sort of promoting it. But it's also sort of low stakes of like, I don't know, let's just do this while it's fun. And if it's. If it's not fun anymore, we can stop. I'm sure that's how you guys probably think about this podcast. I was
0: saying it's definitely a relatable feeling. Like Nicole and I are constantly (laughs) checking in with each other like, hey, is this still fulfilling to you? Yeah. Okay, cool. Same here. Okay. Glad we're still doing that. Let's keep going. Glad to talk to a cool artist today.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So it's like that. It's uh, Yeah, so we called it Cottage Courses because it's takes place in an old house, the, this, like, hotel house. But really, it's also kind of, like, this, like, cottage industry thing of, like, we're just making stuff at our house and out of our home. And it's fun. So far, it's fun. But, yeah, I, I do I do think I'm, like, we check in of being, like, okay, wait, is this, like, do we have the time to, like, commit to this in this capacity? Or, like, do we, you know, yeah, just, like, how much do we want this to grow? Do we want it to grow? Is it still fun? hmm we've only just start we've only just started so it's still fun. Oh cool. <laughs> yeah.
0: Love it. And I loved hearing your perspective on uh having your like fine art practice and then also like as you put playing store like taking on this new role and trying to show and share your work in a different way. And I'm like having the opposite experience where I've been like playing store and now I want to play gallery and I'm like, "Hey, hey, I'm ready to show my work. I want people to see it instead of just, like, buying it, taking it home, and then I never get to see it again. Like, I want, I don't know, the idea of yeah. getting to witness people experience the work in any new way. Um, so it's always – I like hearing as the other artists are going through a similar thing of, like, I want my work to be seen differently, but how do I go about yeah getting it out there in that different way?
2: Yeah, it was, like, really – conscious of um like especially with the first thing i did with fabric like the guns i was like conscious of of like them not being something that you would like buy on etsy necessarily but like something that is in a gallery because it like the context gives it everything you know like the so but then there's some things i make like i make quilts that are just like i see them as as like more decorative pieces and I usually do that, it's, like, sometimes I need a break from making something, making, like, capital A art or, you're like, whatever. Like, something that's, like, I see as uh, something I've, like, put a lot of thought and intention into and created. I need something that's just, like, keeps your hands busy while you're, like, thinking through the next thing. So I see that as, like, actually, like, making quilts or making, um, like, those those, whatever, Christmas stockings or these, like, oven mitts. They're just, like, a fun thing to, like produce and make and so yeah that's sort of how I see that stuff even though like um a couple of years ago was project was like we want to show your quilts like in the gallery space and I was like oh can you do that like yeah I guess you can <laughs> so now I'm, and now I'm like making work that's more quilt like but in the beginning I was like really weary of like diving into that because of the like that's a whole other conversation of the like craft art mesh world that's like yeah that's like that I have like a lot of feelings about but same (laughs) (laughs) yeah you get it
0: yeah I feel like anyone that is that rides that edge has a real strong feeling about it yeah yeah it's an interesting conversation uh I want to be mindful of your time is there anything that we haven't talked about that you would want to make sure to share or uh mention
2: not that I can think of thank you for taking the time to to talk with me oh Oh, yeah thank you so much for coming
0: and uh for listeners where can they find your work where can they buy an oven mitt if they would like to uh, (laughs) if you have any upcoming shows you want to share about
2: yeah um oh yeah I can definitely tell you about this so uh well my website's my name nataliebaxter.com and then on Instagram, I'm Natty Bax, N A T T Y B A X. And then I also where I sell my like whatever things, little little things are like is Nattybax And then cottagecourses.com is my other new adventure. But also I'm curating a show for the first time, which Ooh. is really exciting. I know. And I am very excited about it. And it's going to be at VSOP Projects, which is in Greenport, New York, on Long Island. It's like the end of the North Fork. And I actually have a show there right now that I'm in. Um, um, yeah, VSOP Projects. It's, it's in on Long Island. And so I'm going to show that there now. And then this summer I'm going to be um, in a show at Boston University, which is, seems is, like it's exciting. It's going to be exciting. And then for another maybe week. Or two, there's a show at the Dorsky Museum that's really good. That's all Hudson Valley fiber artists, and that's called Homespun. So that's where you can find me on the internet world and the real world.
3: Awesome. Excellent. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for this conversation.
1: That's all for today's episode of Beyond the Studio. You can find episode notes, images, links, and references over at our website, beyondthe.studio. While you're there, be sure to submit to our
0: listener spotlight and sign up for our email list to find out about upcoming guests, events,
1: special announcements, podcast giveaways, and more. If you love listening to Beyond the Studio, please leave us a rating and review and share the show with your creative community. Thanks!
0: recording I'll say a little disclaimer there's a lot of cardinals outside my window and we may hear them in this call so <laughs> that's
1: pleasant ah springtime
0: the, <laughs> the chirps are friendly <laughs> yes
2: that's very uh sorry I was like I just saw a spider in there that I'm like oh <laughs> but the, I thought that thought that like, I thought I left the door open anyway sorry okay rewind